0: through the Bible. We're doing it in context. We've got sermons that have been going from the main text. We started with the Gospel of John. We're into the book of Acts. We'll close the year, God willing, with the book of Revelation. In the process, we've supplemented the main core text from either John, Acts, or Revelation with supplemental readings to help put them into context. You are the beta group. I've already figured out ways that I'd like to do it differently than the way we've done it this year, but uh, uh, we're still working on it, we're tweaking it, and I want to thank you for that. We're in the, God, the book of Acts right now, and I want to start out by asking you about your life. How many of you were infants when you were born? All right, about half of you. You know, what's this life about? You're here on a Sunday morning. You've carved out not just the hour of class time, but you've carved out time to get ready. You've carved out time to drive here. You've carved out time to go home. You probably have been at worship uh, 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 or, or maybe not, but, but you've done this and it's all part of your day, which is part of your week your month, your year, your life. So what's your life about? Is it just this process that you go through? You're born, you become a toddler, you lose some teeth, you get some other teeth, you get old enough to go to school, maybe you walk, maybe you take a bike, maybe you're driven by your parents, maybe you take a school bus. You get involved at school, You go through elementary school, middle school, you get involved in activities. Some people play football, other people watch football. The really smart people go to debate. (laughs) Just joking, Max. Just joking, coach. I'm just joking. Some of them go into chemistry. Chemistry. No. Uh, And then you've got uh, different people. You do different activities. And this is what life seems to be about. Then you graduate. Some people, they go to work immediately. Other people, they may go to college. Some go to really important grade schools. you got different people... Who go to different places and do different things and then after college you get jobs or you go to grad school and somewhere along the way many people get married and they start the cycle all over again with their own kids. Not everybody does, but generally everybody of some ilk or variety works and you seem to work all the time and work, 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 work. And if you're not working for pay, you're working for free. If you're not working at an office, you're working outside or you're working at home and you work and you work and you work until one day you quit working because you realize oh by the way you do go to church periodically but somewhere in the process something happens you turn old it happens Mike Moriarty Mike Moriarty where are you Mike are you here this morning Mike Moriarty says every morning First thing he does is go to see if he's alive. Especially if he doesn't hurt anywhere. He says, if I'm not hurting, I think I'm dead. You get old. And then you die. That's the normal course of events. It can change up. But that's the way it happens. Now my question to you is, is this, is life just a series of random events? And you just show up at church as part of your random life? And this is just part of it, and y'all are churchgoers, so here you are. Other people aren't churchgoers, so here they aren't. Is this, is this what it is? I want to suggest to you no. As you look at class today, my hope is that class today can peel away some of those pictures so that you can see that behind all of these events of life, God has a plan for the earth. God has a plan for this creation. God has a plan for people. He has a plan for His kingdom. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. And we're not just going through these random events of life with no meaning and no purpose. There is a divine hand with divine love, with divine purpose and divine plan of which we can play a role. We can have a part in what God is about. And you might be saying, well, a lot of people can, but not me. Oh, yes. If you can do this and see that you're alive, God can have purpose and does have purpose for your life, for yours particular. One way to know that God doesn't have any more purpose for your life on earth is you're dead. (laughs) But if you're not dead, he's got purpose. It doesn't matter how smart you are. It doesn't matter how connected you are. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are or how wealthy you aren't. It doesn't matter what your profession is. It doesn't matter what your marital status is. God has some plan and purpose for you specifically by name. And it all fits together into this jigsaw puzzle of his will, which is so extraordinary that it baffles the minds of the greatest theologians and philosophers. How can humanity actually make choices and have freedom to do, make those own choices? And yet, when everything is said and done, it all fulfilled. God's plan. It's an amazing idea. Almost unfathomable. And I want us to see it today as we work through this and I underscore God because this is God's plan. And that's what we want to be about. Look, I got plans. Okay? My I'm a planner. I got plans. My plans have plans. I got so many plans. If if you need plans, I got some for you. I'll give you some plans. But you don't want to be about my plans, especially the ones in the yard. Because they don't lead to anything. Of everlasting value, you want to be about the Lord's plan. You want to take your place in His kingdom and see His plan unfold. So let's look at scripture today, and we're going to start out like every class should with poker. All right, bunch of Baptists. Do you all know what that is? A royal flush. Put your chips back in your purse. (laughs) A royal flush. That's exactly right. Do you know what are the odds of you getting dealt a royal flush? A royal flush, ace, king, queen, jack, ten, all of one suit. It's one out of 649,739. Those are the odds. Now, if you want to take everything you have and go to Vegas and lay it down on one hand, in hopes you're going to get that, you could be dealt one hand every day of your life. And do you know what year you would be age-wise? By the time you finish the odds and you can say with some assurance, hey, the odds are I will have been dealt one. You will be 1,780 years old. Don't bet your life on getting a royal flush. The odds just aren't there. But I want to tell you, the odds of getting a royal flush are so much better than the odds of Christianity taking off. that you could bet everything on it. I mean, the idea that Christianity would even exist today is unfathomable. It makes the royal flush look like an every-minute occurrence. You're thinking, well, I don't know about that. I mean, of course we're here today because uh, this church was started. Sure, this church was started, this congregation was started, what, three or four decades ago. By a house full of people. Well yes, but they were born into other churches. Yes, they were born into other churches. And you can trace it back like links in a chain. But if you go back to the very beginning, the odds of us being here and the odds of the Christian faith being all over the globe are next to impossible. I dare say they are impossible. From a human perspective that we're even here is just outrageously bizarre. Next point, which card makes that a royal flush? The ace? Some of you said the ace. I heard you say the ace before you started thinking. So I can take away the ten and have a royal flush? Can I take away the jack? Can I take away the queen? No, it's each and every one. You got to have each one of those to have the royal flush, right? Can't take any one of them away and still have a royal flesh. It's just not going to happen. This is the incredible hand of God in history and in our world. We have a church. We have a faith. We have a fellowship that exists not just because it's against all odds but because Every card that had to be played was played. Every card that needed to be there was there. It's just phenomenal for me to think about. I really want you to get a grip of how phenomenal it is before we dig into the scripture. Here we go. This is the Roman Empire at the time of the New Testament church. Actually, it's a little bit short-sighted because part of England should be in it as well. So you can jump up and add some of England up uh, till almost Scotland, to the Hadrian's Wall. But this is the Roman Empire, by and large. You recognize it, right? You can see some of the names are still are names we use today. Egypt is still Egypt. What's now Turkey with Istanbul used to be called Asia. But that's okay. We think of Asia as an entire continent now. Italy's Italy. Roma is Rome. We can still follow that. Macedonia, it's a little bit smaller than it was then, but there's still Macedonia above Greece. Germania, the German tribes, the Gauls, they're still here as Germany. So, that's the map of the Roman Empire. Judea is now uh, mostly what Israel is. Israel's a little bit more. But here's my question. I want you to think of this not as a poker game but as a business venture. I want to ask you, would you be willing to invest in a business plan? Here's the investment. Would you be willing to take your hard earned money and put it into this? All right, here's the deal. Do you want to invest in this idea that where that little lollipop pointer is in Jerusalem is going to spring forth a religious movement that will take over the entire world? Let me give you some facts to help you decide whether or not this is a good investment. This whole thing is concocted by a small group of ragtag fishermen. They got a couple of boats on a lake called Knesseret. Oh, some call it the Sea of Galilee, but it's no sea by our standards, it's a lake. And so these guys fish the lake. Now, they don't have high-gear fishing boats. They fish with nets, and they're rowboats with a simple sail. One sail. Now, they've got this idea. Please understand, they don't have really any formal education. They might have some ability to read and write. But some of them are probably illiterate. And they get together and they say, hey, we're going to start the movement. Will you invest in us? We're part of this weird religious group called the Jews. The Jews are a weird religious group. All of the Roman Empire, all of the Greek Empire before it, they have the pantheon of gods. They've got Zeus or Jupiter. They've got uh, 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 Athena. They've got all of these. They've got Poseidon with the sea. They've got all these different gods. The Egyptians, they've got Osiris. They've got Ra. Lots of them. The Jews, they got one. And, and understand that there's not just. A weird religious group, but Jerusalem today is considered a really cool place, a center feature of the world. Back then it was an armpit. It's nothing in the Roman Empire. Rome's the biggest city, followed by Alexandria. You've got some other big cities. You've got Ephesus, Antioch, big city. But Jerusalem, nah. It's a hillbilly town in the hills of Judea. None of the Romans even, Rome didn't even care to conquer it until pretty recently. It was just kind of like, "Yeah, I would just leave you mountain guys alone. I mean, it's like Duck dynasty in Manhattan. It's just like doesn't really seem to go together. So the Roman Empire, it's, so you got this ragtag fisherman, couple of them, from this weird religious group in this backwater town. And here's the sales pitch. We got a buddy who is a criminal. And he got capital punishment. He got killed. But we're going to take over the world with the idea that our dead criminal buddy came back from the dead after three days. And you're going to have to take our word for it. Or the word of someone else. Because we don't have any videotape evidence. And he left. He went on up into the clouds and said he'd come back one day. So we don't really have any proof that this dead guy, this criminal, came back from the dead. But you should sign on to our program anyway. Now, I do have to warn you, it's going to give you a miserable life. I mean, you're going to get persecuted. You'll be stripped of your possessions. You'll be put in jail. You'll get beaten. You'll get flogged. You might get stoned. You might get killed. But hey, we've been told after you're dead it gets a lot better. Now, i got to also warn you. You don't get rich off of this deal. There's no money in it. There's no fame in it. There's no prestige in it. At least as they were thinking then. Now, how are we going to do this? How are we going to take over the world with this? Well, we don't really have a business plan. We don't really have a plan at all. It's just kind of spur of the moment. In fact... If you really push us on it, we'd tell you we thought Jesus was coming back in a week or two, maybe a month. We're a bit bum-fuzzled by the fact he hadn't come back yet. It's got us a little bit trying to figure out what God's up to. Now, you can't use the internet, and you can't use Facebook, and you can't use Twitter, and you can't use TV, and you can't use radio, because those things don't exist. So somehow from the backwater of the, the this little mountain village with these semi-illiterate fishermen, this bizarre story about a resurrected criminal who's no longer working the earth, who's going to change the world by making your life miserable, he's going to catch on and take over the world. i got to tell you, you want to invest in that? Well, we might, because we know what's really going on. But in the eyes of the world, if there is no truth to the Christian claim, it wouldn't have lasted a week. If there is no truth to the Christian claim, it wouldn't have lasted a month. It wouldn't have lasted a year. It sure would not have taken over the world. We sure wouldn't be here almost 2,000 years later worshiping the Lord, carving out vast amount of our time, recognizing that all we have is His and we're ready to give it to Him. So how did this come about? The odds of it happening are next to nothing if there's not truth behind it. But now if there's truth behind it, It's a whole different investment. If there's truth behind it, suddenly I'm able to tell you a different story. I'm able to tell you those ragtag fishermen were hand-selected by God. Hand-selected because they were the ones who had what it took... Who were exactly what was needed in the right place at the right time with the right education, with the right experiences to be able to talk to people once God ascended into heaven and re- sent His Holy Spirit down to indwell and His Holy Spirit's gonna be out there working in the hearts and the minds of people, moving them in conviction about Jesus and the truth of what's going on. If I were to tell you that this one God actually really existed and he made each one of you and he made you not just to live a hodgepodge pal every day goes and every day comes life, but called you to be in a fellowship with him, to be intimate with him. And that if within you is this driving Burning recognition that there's got to be something to life. i got to be more than a bag of chemicals. There's got to be something. If I were to tell you that this God became human, paid a price for your sins, that your sins are real, that they needed atonement. If I were to tell you that he went to the Father, but he swore he would come back, And he would take his people home. That there would be a day of judgment. And that the redeemed of the Lord can say so because he's erased all of our transgressions. And he is in the saving business and has made it right for us to come back. If I were to tell you that he has set up a plan for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And as he taught his disciples, these ragtag fishermen to pray about it. That they would pray about it. And that he would raise up for himself... Different people who are able to go out and persuade about this message. If I were to tell you that this is no human event, that the cards are stacked, and the hand being dealt is the hand that God wants dealt, and every card will fall into place. You give me, lowly lawyer Lanier... See, if y'all listened to Pastor Adrian this morning preach, he's got alliteration down. He can do those, so it's inspired me. Lowly Lawyer Lanier. All right. Lowly Lawyer Lanier. You give me the deck of cards in about five minutes, and I can guarantee you a royal flush. You let me deal them. You let me get the cards ready and deal them, and I can give you one every time. See, the the cards have already, this is not a random shuffle. This is a deliberate shuffle. And that's what we see. So with that, we're taking a little digression, which Jeremy Howard, if you're in here, I'm a little bit, Sorry about this, but we're taking a little bit of a digression in part of this lesson from some of the context readings because we've got to understand the historical context to make those context readings make sense. So we'll get to Galatians next week, and I'm excited to teach next Sunday, but this week we need to understand a little bit more of the context historically as well as biblically. So we'll use some of the the Bible text to do that. We're going to start with the Jewish diaspora. Diaspora. You're thinking, what word is that? It's a Greek word. Diaspora in the Greek. It means dispersion. It's the dispersion. See, the Jews were promised the promised land. But through their chosen disobedience. Look at the interaction here between man's choices and God's plan. Man chose to be disobedient. The Jews chose to walk in idolatry, in heathen life, contrary, running exactly contrary to the plan of God. And God said... If you live that way, I'm going to disperse you to the ends of the earth. We had in the context reading from this passage. Uh, uh, throw it up, uh, Zechariah seven, and Zechariah seven fourteen specifically. But that whole chapter talks about what God's going to do because of the sins of His people. He says, "I scattered them with a whirlwind among all the nations that they'd not known." That's what God said. You know. Look, you don't live right. I'm scattering you among the nations. That was a punishment. But it's one that fit into the hand and the plan of God perfectly. For without the dispersion, you don't have the dominoes set up to fall for the church. God working in spite and through the sin of man and the punishment that justly flows from that sin through God's mercy in part, but, but the punishment that flows, God is working a plan for the redemption of all of, of, of all of His people. So you have the Jewish diaspora. Starting in 587 with the Babylonian captivity, you have a deliberate removal of many of the Jews from Judea. The northern kingdom's already been dispersed. But the southern kingdom, and they get sent out everywhere, and they start learning local languages. And and yet, Jerusalem is still their home. And Jerusalem is the location of the temple. Destroyed, but getting rebuilt. And so the Jews that settle still call Jerusalem home. They write Psalms. Of the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. God had set up festivals. That called good Jews. To sacrifice. On a regular basis. And so they're coming back home. So you've got the Jewish diaspora. And as a result. You know if you go and you look at the passage. That uh, is in Acts chapter 2. Where Peter was preaching in Pentecost. In Acts chapter 2, if we go to the Elmo for a second. Acts chapter 2, look at verse 5. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem. And the word dwelling there uh, means inhabiting, dwelling. They might have been there for the holidays. They might have been there for a pilgrimage. We, and some of them were actually living there. But look what it says, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Now, in the Greek, uh, every nation is, is a, a reference not truly to every physical nation, but it's, it's an expression of speech like we would have, like, you know, just like everybody was there. And they came from all over. If I tell you people came from all over to hear this class, that does not technically mean we had someone from Madagascar. Okay? All over? You said all over. You mean Madagascar? No, you know, this is a human language. Devout men from every nation under the heaven. And then he starts listing them in verse 9. Because he's talking about the different languages they were hearing. Parthians and Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya, uh, Cyrene, visitors from Rome, Cretans, Arabians. You got lots of them. Let's go back to the PowerPoint. You can put it on the map. You can put them up. You can see them in Pontus. You can see them in Asia. You can see them, uh, 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 that's Pamphylia, it's not on the map, sorry. You can see them in Cappadocia. You can see them in uh, the Medes and the Elamites and the Mesopotamians. Those are the Arabians. Those are the Egyptians, the Cyrenes and the rest of Libya. Those are the people that are there at Pentecost. They're hearing the word. They're dispersed. They've got families in these areas. They go back to these areas the church from that center point of jerusalem yes it's just a backwater country but it happens to be one where god's called his people to come back regularly so they're there for the festivals they're there at pentecost they're there when peter preaches and they've they've got they go back to their homes and the church's message spreads immediately isn't that amazing and by the way, if you're looking at the map, and uh, how many of you were alive then? Okay, not many. The, um, if you were alive then, there'd be a couple of things that even to you and I ought to jump out when we look at the map. What's missing? Who was not there? How about Greece and Macedonia? Boy, it's going to take someone special to go evangelize there. How about out west? Spain, France, Gaul. It's going to take someone to go out there. Well, if you know your Bible history, you know that Paul, and we'll get to it as we continue to read through the context Bible, but Paul is the one who makes it. He gets the call to go into Macedonia, and he crosses over the Bosphorus, and goes and does Macedonia with Philippi and and Thessalonica, and he goes to Berea, and he goes down into Greece, and to Corinth. Paul is the one church history tells us that 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 completed the plans we read about in the New Testament where Paul, after his imprisonment in Rome the first time, went west to evangelize. Paul's this unique fella who's got one foot in the Greek world, Greek-Roman world, and one foot in the Jewish world. And he's qualified to do it like nobody's business. The second thing that I want us to consider is not just the Jewish dispersion at the time, but I want us to consider the Septuagint. How do we learn the Bible without the Bible? How do we learn God's plans for His people without at least having something that's a little more authoritative than simply someone telling you what they feel like God is saying. I mean, I've got friends, and and I'll I'm I'll be the first one to tell you that you know I I try to live and teach and do what I believe and what I think that God is leading me to to do and to teach. But I'll also tell you that if what anything I'm saying is contradicted by Scripture. Throw mine out really fast. Because we've got something more authoritative. Well, now you've got the Jewish dispersion. But by the time of of the early church, by Acts, you've got something more. You've got several hundred years of Jewish scriptures that have been translated into Greek. See, at the end of the Old Testament... When the Old Testament was finished, you've got a couple of hundred years, 300 plus before the birth of Jesus. During that period of time, the world changed. There was this kid from Macedonia, Philip's son. Do you know his name? Alexander. He's a great guy. He's a great warrior. Brilliant stratician, stratician, made up word. Comes from uh, the English word strategy. He was a brilliant strategic, what's the word? Yes, y'all got it. And he conquers much of the known world. And he takes with him Greek. You know who his teacher was? Aristotle. So he thinks the Greek is the the, 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 the solution the the, the, the the pinnacle, the apex of humanity. The Romans, by the way, do you know what they're interested in? They're real functional people. They want roads, they want bridges, they want aqueducts, they want peace. They you know, I mean, they they, they just hey, let's get the trains running on time. Okay? The Greeks, they're sitting around gazing at their navel, thinking, what is truth? What is this world about? Heraclitus, men can never cross over the same river twice. Yeah, the Romans would say, "Uh uh-huh, with our bridges. And he would say, no, the water has moved, it's a different river. Okay. So, so, so you've got this Greek idea. It's taken over. Alexander forms as, founds a city, becomes at the time the largest city in the world. By the time of the Roman Empire, it's number two. Do you know the name of the city? It's Alexandria. He named it after himself. It's in Egypt. It's where his body was entombed in a glass sarcophagus so that people could, it was embalmed so you could come by and say, hey, he's great. Alexander. They put the world's largest library there. Now, I've got a warm place in my heart for libraries. The The library, the, the theological library, your local one down the street, holds about a 100,000 volumes. The library at Alexandria, 250 BC, four times as large. Four times as many. 400,000 volumes. And around 250 BC, there was a request put in for Jewish scriptures to be translated into Greek. And so they were. So the Jewish scriptures get translated into Greek. We call it the Septuagint. Can we go to the Elmo for a moment? The Septuagint. Septuagint, from the Latin, Septuaginta. Do you know what it means? Seventy. How do you write 70 in Roman numerals? Scholars abbreviate, if you're reading scholastic works, instead of calling it the Septuagint a lot of times, they'll just call it the LXX. Where does that come from? It comes from a tradition. Actually, it should be the, the Septuagint duo because the tradition was 72 Jewish scholars, six from each tribe, translated scripture into Greek in 72 days. Supposedly, it was a miracle. Although scholars discount the letter of Aristheus where it says that didn't happen in 72 days. It happened over decades. But scripture was translated into Greek and these Greek scriptures were then copied as part of the dispersion. People could have the Greek scriptures everywhere. Did you know when Luke quotes the Old Testament? If you mirror the quotation from Luke and you go to the Old Testament and you look at it, you can see the words are different sometimes. And you might think, ooh, He was not very accurate. And you would be wrong. (laughs) Because Luke quotes from the Septuagint. Luke is quoting from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which were the scriptures for most of the, the, the Jews outside of Jerusalem. My Jewish friends often say to me the idea of the virgin birth. They say, well... You know, the virgin birth, uh, the Greek word for virgin is parthenos. All right? Now, whoops, I left out the R, sorry. Parthenos. That's the Greek word for virgin. And they'll say, but the Hebrew, the Isaiah passage that talks about the virgin calls her an Alma. In Hebrew, which just means a young maiden. And while young maidens were generally virgins, tisk tisk, not all were. And so Isaiah is not saying that of the virgin comes forth a child. Isaiah just merely says a young maiden. So this idea of a virgin birth is some particularly Christian Misunderstanding of Isaiah. To which I asked my Jewish friends, what do you know about the Septuagint? This thing that everyone agrees was written and translated before Christ. Where the Jewish scholars before Christ translated their Old Testament into Greek. When these Jewish scholars came to Alma, guess which Greek word they used? Parthenos. Because they understood it to mean a virgin. You've got the Septuagint. We go back to the PowerPoint. In addition to the Septuagint, you've got these dispersed Jews with their scripture, and where do they read and learn and study? The synagogue. And so the synagogues have been set up everywhere. In addition to the synagogues, you've got the Roman Empire with the Pax Romana. That's Latin. The Peace of Rome. You've got one currency by and large. You've got roads that are built. You've got a a safety and travel that had not existed before. The Roman Empire accepts Judaism as a valid religion, so you're allowed to go proselytize? The Jewish bankers are who financed Julius Caesar's accession to power. So Julius Caesar recognized Judaism as a valid religion. Meanwhile, some of these thought-provoking Greeks that we were talking about earlier, they've started going to the synagogue. You know why? Because the Greeks had started realizing, you know, this idea of having a whole bunch of gods and stuff doesn't really make a lot of sense. And that same fellow, Heraclitus, who talked about the river always changing, said there is some constant force behind the universe. There is one thing that, that seems to always be constant. If nothing else, change. In fact, everything changes means something stays the same because... It's making everything change. Or the recognition of change is a constant, I should say. So you've got all of this. So a lot of Greeks start attending synagogue because they figured out these Jews for a long time, hundreds and hundreds of years, over a thousand years, have been worshiping this one God. And so the Greeks are thinking, well, if there really is only, let's go check that out. So you got a bunch of Greeks that are attending synagogue too, even though they haven't converted to Judaism. And into this world comes Paul. And into this world comes the mission trips. Now, I put up a lollipop there that's green. That's Antioch. Antioch is where we, if if I had not laid all this groundwork today, where we were going to start about 30 minutes ago, before I got a little carried away. Acts chapter 13. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a member, soon Trophos in the Greek, of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. After fasting, laying on of hands, they sent them off and they go to Cyprus. Let's go back to the PowerPoint. Did you know that there really weren't missionaries before then? This is a brand new concept. Jesus started it. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. And so... God says, "You set them apart for me from Antioch." So Paul and Barnabas and John Mark they go to Cyprus first. That's Barnabas's home island, and they start evangelizing Cyprus. And from there, they go to Phrygia, or they go up to uh, 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 the coast right below that, with Galatia right up above it, and they start going town to town to town. And you'll get this as the sermons catch up to us, or we lag back. But town to town to town, they go through and the first thing they do is go to the synagogue. A synagogue service is a little different than what we do, but not too much. First of all, they had reserved seating. I mean, they didn't do it the way we do, where you stick your, you know, your belongings there real quick and then go get the donuts. What, what they did is uh, they just kind of recognized... The Hoy polloi, the bon vivants, the dignitaries, the richies, they got the good seats. And then it just kind of gradually moved on from there with everybody else. And the core behind a synagogue service was reading the law, reading the prophets, and then a short sermon. Didn't really have our song service of festivals, though the reading itself in Hebrew is is a kind of singing. It's a kind of chanting. But it wasn't as much worship the way we do it. That was more for certain festivals and things like that. So this is going on. Well, Paul, if you remember from our reading, Paul just happens to be trained by the top rabbinical school in Jerusalem. And he happens to be a Roman citizen. And he happens to be Greek. Originally from Tarsus, which is just a little bit west. No, east. Yeah, east of Galatia on the coast. So you got Paul and he goes to the synagogue with a bunch of Greek speakers. And they read the Old Testament. And then they say, hey, guy with the rabbi training. Mr. Hotshot from Jerusalem, you got anything you want to say? Paul says, now that you ask, I do. And he proceeds to start preaching the word. Now, to me, this is a seminal class that's groundwork for where we're going over the next few weeks and, and even over the next month and a half as we continue this trek. But Paul does this missionary effort through these churches in Galatia. And in the process of doing it, after he's through, he writes them back a letter. We call it Galatians. And you started the reading with Galatians this week. But next week, we'll tear into the letter itself and we'll look through those things. So, with that, here are our key takeaways for today. If you get nothing else out of this class, I hope you'll understand that God was not staging an event only for those decades. Those decades were part of the history of our universe that was very carefully thought out by God and your life and my life is not a random event. And you'll go to lunch today and you'll take a nap today or you'll go out and do yard work today or you'll chase kids or you'll go to New York or you'll do whatever you've got to do today. But this is not a random life. The week you've got before you is not a random week. There are opportunities for you to be who God wants you to be in each one of them. And so what I want to do and what I want you to do is let's commit to each other that we're going to look for and live God's plans. There are some people that I've got to meet with on when... Well, I can't say this on the internet. (laughs) <laughs> they might be watching <laughs> I'll tell you what I can say this: the people are marvelous, but what we've got to do is just ruddy work, and I'm really not looking forward to it unless I can get it into my brain that I'm going to look for and live God's plan and I don't care if it's taking out the garbage at that point. if I'm fitting into God's plan, I'm stoked. Because that's what I want to be doing. And it might not be something that's Mark Lanier's plan. It might not be the way I want to spend my week. But this isn't about me. This is God's plan. And it's so cool to get to be a part, which is the last takeaway. Take a little bit of time in the treadmill of life. To reflect... And hold in awe the God who takes all of our individual choices and plans and weaves together this tapestry that will culminate in the end of days with His kingdom and things being made right. It's amazing. And we should never get so caught up in living the moment that we forget to reflect. On the author of history. Would you pray with me? Lord, in awe and amazement, we stop for just a moment and proclaim you as God, God over history, God over our lives, God over the here and now, and God over tomorrow. Lord, would you instill in us a deep recognition? Would your voice cry out within us that none of us are walking randomly? May all of us hear you call our voice, uh, call with your voice our names. May we look for and live your plan in awe of who you are and your love for us. Through Jesus our Lord, the risen one, we pray. Amen.